Welcome to Tales from the Rabbit Hole. I'm your host, Mick West. Today's guest is J.M. Talbo, who runs the uh, website 911debunkers.blogspot.com, which is devoted to debunking the claims of the debunkers of the 9-11 truth movement, I guess. Uh, Welcome welcome to Tales from the Rabbit Hole, uh, J.M. Hey, thanks for having me. So I was really fascinated to look at your your, uh, your your blog and your extensive list of websites. You had rather a lot of websites if you click on your, your profile. Yeah, it's over I think. 30. Yeah, there's <laughs> like 30 websites and all kinds of different topics. Like you've got a bunch of mm. political ones. Uh, you've yeah. got some on the supernatural and uh, you've mm. got some on, uh, on you know, obviously the 9-11 one is the one we're more interested in talking about today. Can you tell me how you kind of got started like A in... Uh, 9-11 truth movement and B in like, doing blogging about it and getting so so involved in, the, in blogging. Yeah, um, it was around 2004 I saw a film called American Empire something, I don't know, it was kind of a, a leftist type of film uh, pretty much against uh, the Bush administration and trying to tie them into 9-11 and whatnot, but that got me asking questions um, and then I saw Michael Moore's film Fahrenheit 9-11, so I kind of had a slow burn, it wasn't like straight into loose change or anything like that. <clears throat> so I got into all that, and it was about 2008, right after the, um, the NIST report on World Trade Center 7, that I actually started blogging on the, on the topic. I'd been an activist for uh, like four years to some extent before that, but I uh, never went public with it. So, so that's basically how it happened for me. Um, I just one, one day I just decided I wanted to talk about it publicly. It took a long time for me to actually want to do that. So you said you were like in it for a couple of years before that. Was that mm-hmm. just basically you doing research, or was it? More, right. Were you interacting with other people? Um, that well, like when I went to that movie, uh, I interacted with some activists there. I put out some flyers for it, things like that. Right. Um, but uh, but the most part, I was doing research. Um, I remember sitting down and listening to Alex Jones, and he mentioned that he had a archive of information on 9-11 and it was all mainstream sources and to check it out for yourself so i sat down one saturday and i went through the entire list and looked at all the articles and i started to realize because when i first heard him i thought he was absolutely nuts i said this guy can't be right there must be nothing to this um and i wasn't a fan of the bush administration but i didn't think they would have anything to to do with 9-11 or that there could possibly be any government involvement um but the more i looked at things i found things some of it quite compelling um, and a lot of it I found compelling at the time that I don't find compelling now. Mm. Uh, you had mentioned that my blog debunks the debunkers. That was the original intent, but I don't know if you noticed, there's a little sub headline on the, on the site now that says refuting the hollow arguments of the so-called debunkers and non- and truthers. So, right. um, I don't think debunkers are always as much of a debunker as they like to think they are. And I don't think truthers are as much truthers as they like to think they are. I, I would hope we were all just after the truth in the end. Yeah, um, no, certainly that's what I think. And I, I, yeah, I noticed reading a blog that you're, you're not like a, a party line type person. You're not just doing, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the, the truth movement does. Like you, you critique some of uh, David, Wait, David Ray Griffin's uh, stuff. Uh, and you, you know, you, you point out flaws in his arguments. And I'm sure, like, let's say, just there's kind of a 
Uh, a pivot point for a lot of debunkers is the the Pentagon and whether a plane hit the Pentagon. And what do you feel about that whole uh, that issue? A plane definitely hit the Pentagon. Um, yeah. I used to not think so for a while. But as more information came about and I looked at different researchers, some from the truth movement, uh, like Adam Taylor was on your show. He's a friend of mine. He had mentioned Jim Hoffman. Jim Hoffman's always been very good at this subject. Um, uh, so, yeah, I definitely stood on his shoulders with learning about a lot of this. But but I wouldn't say that a lot of the truth movement picked up on his way of thinking. Uh, it's went the other way quite a bit. Um, but, yeah, I think it's quite clear that a plane hit the Pentagon. There's plane wreckage everywhere to think that somebody went and planted plane wreckage. I mean, it, it goes against Oakham's razor. It makes no sense. Yeah. Uh, if you're carrying out a conspiracy, just run the plane into the building. I mean, there's you can maybe maybe you can remote control it. Maybe that's a possibility. I could maybe go there, but but as far as it not hitting the building, and then there's even the crazier theories that it flew over. Anybody who's been at the Pentagon, uh, I took <laughs> I took a bus trip out there. There's no way. There's nothing but open fields and open sky. Yeah, yeah. you would see it. Then you got saying the the phone calls were faked. Um, that's just you know. It, I know voice morphing technology exists, but again, it's unnecessary. It's it's and it's also one of these things. Even if there was truth to it, why would you lead with that? Why would you talk about it? I feel like if there is any kind of conspiracy for nine eleven, pick a few good points and, and go with it. I don't know why people get into these you know things that are offensive to people, and it, and it's likely not true. Uh, a lot of evidence against it. There's been a lot of. There's been material written refuting Dave Ray Griffin and his phone call material. Uh, what else? I don't think Judy Woods' theories have any, you know, there's no credence to those at all. Um, yeah, I'm trying to be extreme. There's, there's more. It's quite a bit more. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Judy Woods, I think uh, she has this theory that the there were, you know, energy beams destroyed the buildings, which right. is, you yeah, know, right. I don't think really something that a large number of people in the truth movement really believe. I'm sure it's probably less than 5% or so, but it's one of those probably. things that people pick up on. But the Pentagon thing, I think, is actually, I would say, yeah. more than half of the people that you talk to, uh, on, you know, especially the online groups, uh, believe that. Which I get, must be kind of frustrating that you know so many people uh, believe something you think is so obviously false. Yeah, when I went to Ground Zero and I was debating people around Ground Zero, I'm just having conversations with people. If you debate somebody out there, people are filming it. And, mm. But uh, I remember he was talking about the Pentagon stuff and yelling at me. And I was saying, hey, look, back up. I, I don't even believe that. And he goes, well, you're different than 90% of the people out here then. And I said, yeah, you're right. I am. I'm sorry. I'm a free thinker. There's, there's a lot of group thing when it comes to 9-11 truth as well. So Yeah. So like, yeah. Now, now, obviously, you're still a 9-11 truther and you're still... Um, you know, you still believe that there's, you know, something happened. What what would you say is like, uh, you know, how would you characterize your position about what you thought think happens and what you think are the primary problems and questions around 9-11? Um, well, like on the blog, I state, and I have it here, I might as well just read what I wrote. I said, many people subconsciously make the mistake of only seeing the issues in black and white as opposed to shades of gray. This is known as the black or white fallacy. And in this case, the false dilemma is it's either Al-Qaeda carried out 9-11 or it was an inside job. I don't see it as a one or the other thing. I believe that Al-Qaeda hijackers and bin Laden were definitely involved. I just think they had assistance from people with inside the country. I would say there's evidence that points towards uh, rogue elements of intelligence apparatus, both here and in a couple other countries, and, and rogue uh, members of the U.S. government. But I wouldn't put the number of people 
it's under a hundred, I would think, maybe much, much less under a hundred. So I don't think it. I don't think it re- would require thousands of people being involved, as some people say, mm-hmm. uh, and things like that. But I, I think there's very interesting whistleblower claims uh, regarding prior knowledge. Uh, you could take Patty Casaza, she's a 9/11 family member. She says that uh, there were members of the FBI, I believe it was. And I, by the way, I'm going to include at least on my blog. I can send you a list, but anything I mention. Uh, I'll try to make a list of links that not necessarily back up what I say, but just give people the sources for what I'm talking about okay. so they know I'm not making things up whole lot. Yeah. Um, but she had said that she was told that, you know, there there were people that knew the exact day, the exact targets, and that this was completely ignored. You get a lot of information like that. Mm-hmm. There's David Shippers, who was, uh, he helped uh, prosecute uh, Clinton, Bill Clinton, back in the day. And uh, he basically said the same thing to Nafiz Ahmed, who wrote the book The War on uh, The War on Freedom. He wrote another one. I can't remember what the second one was called, but basically that the exact day and the exact targets were known. So you find some corroborating information like that, which is obviously very interesting. Those whistleblowers weren't really spoken to by the 9/11 Commission, even though Patty Casaza was promised that they all would be spoken to. So that's something that that I find very interesting. Um, NORAD's response on that day I find very interesting. I've done a lot of research into NORAD, yeah. and at the end of the day, I had a debunker ask me, well, what, what do you think you can prove that uh, NORAD was involved in an inside job? And I said, no, I don't think I can prove that. I think what could be proven if somebody wanted to do it is criminal negligence at the very least. And it's interesting that the 9-11 Commission did uh, consider referring members of NORAD to the Justice Department because they had lied so bad. So, And they said it's one of those loose ends that was never really tied up. Yeah, so I, I kind of agree with you. It's an interest to be on demolition. I agree with you well, on that the NORAD thing to a degree. Like, I think there's, there's probably definitely some, like, you know, cover-your-ass type stuff going on. And I think, you know, when people say the, the commission was set up to fail, I think part of that was just that they didn't want fingers pointed at people who, who failed and whether there's something more than that, I don't really think there's, there's you know, personally, I don't think there's uh, strong evidence for, and as you say, you can't really prove it. But you know, you, you're going to get on to kind of controlled demolition. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I'm not an architect, I'm not an engineer. I've written a little bit for their site, but they always review anything I've ever helped with. Um, but I, I just think in and of itself that they're, that they're, are so many professionals that are speaking out just just stepping back as like a juror maybe looking at things i think it's it's interesting i remember i was watching mm-hmm. your interview with joe rogan he mentioned you know how many architects and engineers are on the other side and they just don't come out and speak about it publicly well we don't know because they really haven't outside of like the official reports and whatnot yeah but but when you look at like surveys of how many new yorkers even knew about building seven and whatnot i would i would argue that it's probably pretty low the amount that even are up on these issues in any real sense um yeah i think uh i i talked to some architects and engineers that are not 9-11 truthers uh and the problem i found is that though they basically think it's a silly theory and they don't want to talk about it like Mm -hmm. i'm the the guy i'm interviewing next after you is an engineer who uh, worked at Ground Zero for, I think, at least six months after the attacks. He saw the the initial attacks, and he was worked for a big engineering firm there. 
And he said to me, like when I told him, like, you know, I talked to 9-11 truthers, he said, well, you must have a lot more patience than I do. And, you know, basically the scientists and engineers that, that I talked to who are on, you know, I guess the skeptical side, but it's more like the apathetic side. They just don't look into it because they don't find it interesting. And I think that gets viewed by truthers as them being afraid of looking into it or that either they know that there's something there, but they don't want to touch it. But from my perspective, it seems like they just think it's silly in the same way you think that Judy Wood's theory is silly. They think the idea of a controlled demolition is silly, and so they won't even look into it very much. And that could be. Um, but then the question could be asked why they think it's silly. Is it really silly on its face, or has there been so much material, uh, bad material, for instance, like we talked about bad theories that mm-hmm. makes the whole thing look silly, or yeah. material that's dissuaded them from it? I don't know. Um, I, w- I would also say if the government would have just done some simple things like test for explosives, if NIST would have tested for explosives, this would have perhaps helped. You'll obviously have people argue that truthers wouldn't accept it either way. I I don't happen to be one of them. I I would definitely have liked to have seen that happen. I think you have a couple problems. One, and I could be wrong, but I've heard from people more up on these things than me, scientists, that um, that, like for, for conventional explosives, for instance, they would test for nitrates and those dissipate by now. And you, even if you had the dust, you couldn't do it now. I had, I'll just say, I can't say the name, but I had a friend of Larry Silverstein, you know who Silverstein is, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. Uh, He told me that New York labs did test for explosives. I asked him to give me any evidence of this. It was never provided to me. If that actually happened, I don't know. I never saw any uh, proof that it did. But yeah, I think that that kind of testing should have happened. Yeah. Um, I know there was a lot of testing of the dust in the early days uh, because they were concerned right from the start, I think, of uh, the effects of breathing in the dust. Uh, they were kind right. of like elemental analyses. I don't mm-hmm. know if if you can you can actually get much uh, from just the basic elemental compositions in terms of testing for explosives. But yeah, I think again here we we, we run up against the same problem of uh, of perspective. Like you know, on the truth side, they say, "Why didn't you test for explosives?" And on the other side, they say, "Well, because planes flew into the buildings and they burnt for hours and then collapsed because of that." It just seems like why would we test for explosives? And there was no real, you know, from their mind, they 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 see the collapse of uh, of the towers, especially as being very obviously from from the the planes because the collapse starts at the fire floors that were on fire. Uh, now with Building Seven, obviously, is a bit is a bit less clear, and people who don't know about Building Seven, they will sometimes you know they look at the video, and uh, if you don't know anything at all. It looks like it's a controlled demolition, so I think it's going to be easier there. But again, uh, the people who were on the ground the other day, you know, from what I know, is like you know, a lot of them knew it was going to collapse uh, because they could see the, the big hole in the side on the southwest corner, and that it was leaning a bit, and it was making lots of noises with floors falling and things, and it was all these fires, and so it wasn't a huge surprise when it when it fell. You know, it was on fire after all. And it was hit by World Trade Center 7. So they think, why would we test for explosives? It's obvious why it fell. So uh, it's, a, it's a problem you can never really get past, though, I think. Because if you've got people who are suspicious, they're always going to think that this is evidence of a conspiracy. I mean, a couple points. Um, that's when you really have to dig in and see if things on their face make sense, like these a priori assumptions, or if there's really something more to it. Adam and I, for instance, we, we did a, uh, an article together where we did look at uh, the buildings 
ability to withstand jetliner and backs. And when we did that, um, what we showed is that really a lot of the statements that were made from debunkers or even Leslie Neal, Leslie Nielsen, <laughs> what, <laughs> that's an actor. That's a <laughs> yes, Leslie, Leslie Robertson. Roberts. Um, you know, he said he didn't see um, uh, a molten metal at Ground Zero. Then, then videos came out that he did. Um, but you know, it's like the debunking side of it seemed to argue that they were only designed for a slow-moving impact, not loaded with uh, fuel like those were, and that a 707 and a 747 are comparable. And we showed a lot of that to not be correct. And that, um, but I do understand why you know people would look at. If you want to respond, go ahead. No, no, just that with a, you know, they say it was designed to withstand the impact of a plane. And the thing is, it did withstand the impact of the plane. Like the, they could have, you know, planes could have hit the building like that in three different spots. And it, it would have been fine. Uh, well, it wouldn't have been fine, it, but it, it wouldn't have fallen. I mean, it fell because of the fire and because of the, the fireproofing being stripped off by the impact, which wasn't something that they'd really, you know, done a, a detailed analysis of. They said, like, yeah, the biggest problem would be the fire, but I don't think they ever did, like... Yeah, this was back in the 60s when they when they designed the building. They didn't really have the same, uh, you know, biosimulation software and finite element analysis of that yeah, detail that they would need to be able to tell if it uh, could withstand a sustained fire. So, yeah, it was designed to uh, withstand a jet impact, and it did. So, I, you know, I don't really... I always think that argument's a little bit uh, uh, specious. But. I mean, it's funny. One argument brings up another, though. Then you get mm. to fireproofing, and it's like, oh, so the for fireproofing was required to be knocked off. And then there's rebuttals of that. And, um, yeah. you know, I mean, you, you think that it was only designed to take the plane impact, and then it was supposed to collapse in 15 seconds like, like it did? I mean... Well, uh, it was designed to <laughs> designed not to fall there. I mean, the one, yeah. the one, you know, he said that it would, it would fly through it like a mosquito netting, and mm -hmm. it could withstand several impacts. Yeah, and I think yeah. he said withstand. He meant withstand. Like they would put the fires out then, and it it would be there to be repaired. Yeah. But, um, well, it, one one thing, like with the, I know we're kind of getting into the weeds here a little bit, but you just brought up the okay. uh, um, the insulation being knocked off. And if you look at the the steel in the pile afterwards, it almost invariably had no ins insulation left on it, you know, from the collapse, basically. So if the collapse Those, of the building, the bombs not. <laughs> no, but uh, the, I mean, the, if there the, were explosives, I don't the, know. The the entire be. building, like everywhere on it, like you couldn't see any any insulation anywhere, like from this collapse, which only reached like a hundred miles an hour, and then you've got a plane going at five hundred miles an hour, you, you're bound to get some insulation stripped off uh, the, the the beams and whatnot you know there was the big explosion as well of the thing but anyway let's, we're getting into details we could probably well, argue I would just say, over. I think Kevin Ryan is one who's who's done this in detail there are yeah. better people than me when it comes to demolition stuff I don't I I've done a, a lot more research more detailed research into NORAD and prior knowledge to be quite honest but Kevin Ryan's one to look to and then Adam Taylor Adam has tackled like he did a whole okay. series for 8911 Truth debunking the real 911 mess where he took on um uh, popular mechanics and I'm pretty sure that in that series he does address yeah. the fire insulation and gets into the weeds on it yeah. so it's one of those things um, I, I forget there was one other point I wanted to respond to okay. you'd said something about um, just something about the whole issue I don't know if you can remember uh, of why why engineers and architects don't get into it about it uh, seeming silly there was something else you had said you said that 
the the whole idea that they knew all day it was going to fall down. I don't know right. if you're aware of Ian McQueen. He has a paper for the Journal of 9-11 Studies called Waiting for Seven. He analyzes all the testimony from firefighters saying that it was going to fall that day. And he really digs into whether most of them had direct observation or if just a few people made that call and it kind of filtered down through the yeah. ranks. I mean, that's quite so, so that's an interesting thing to look at. It's called Waiting for Seven. Uh, yeah. Professor Graham McQueen. Yeah. Um, and then the question is, like, we know that there was southwest corner damage, and I think that's why the building slumps. A lot of people in the truth movement don't even want to admit that. They just it came straight down, and that's it. It, yeah, it, it did lead to the south. Slump as it came down. There was a yeah. hole in the building. But, like, Craig Bartmer was from the uh, fire department. He said, yeah, I saw a hole in the building. I didn't see a hole big enough to bring down a building, though. So you get difference of opinion mm-hmm. within the ranks on that, too. And obviously, there have been firefighters come forward from that day. I wouldn't say it's a tremendous amount like uh, like with the architects and engineers, but there are quite I, – I last I knew, maybe 100. There might be more now, though. There was uh, there was there has been an FDNY come forward that thinks things are strange as well. So um, it's not just crazy ones like yeah. me that think these things. There are <laughs> – People that were there that day. So. Yeah, no, there's, there's, I think within any uh, profession, like obviously the firefighters and the steel workers, you're always going to find people who have like differing opinions and different experiences. You know, a lot of people there uh, on the day, they heard things that they interpreted as being explosions. Uh, mm. Some some of them before the towers collapsed, and some of them while the towers were collapsing. And some people even claim that they heard explosions before the planes hit the building, which is a, an interesting one, which uh, right. I don't think um, is kind of a difficult one to substantiate. But There's the one explosion where the person, the fire department person says, uh, we got to get back. Some people think he says seven's exploding. Some people think he says the building's exploding, but they're definitely by World Trade Center 7. When you listen to that explosion and compare it to a shape charge, they sound very similar. The thing is, that's taking place much earlier in the day. If Building 7 was blown up, people have proposed the idea that they that it was either a dud and didn't go off all at one time, or that this yeah. was on purpose, like pre-weakening throughout the day. Barry Jennings talks about hearing explosions throughout the day. He talks about stepping over bodies in World Trade Center 7, which... There aren't supposed to be any bodies in World yes. Trade Center. So, right so, so how do you, uh-huh. you, you got so, your conflicting testimonies from one guy, but you can say this bit is correct. It's like, what's the, his name? Danny Juenko, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Dutch demolition expert. He said that Building 7 was a, looked like a controlled demolition. Right. Uh, but he also said that Buildings 1 and 2 did not look like controlled demolitions. Right. But you, you, Which they don't. They don't look yeah, like they, they, they don't. don't explode it. They don't yeah. do that in demolitions because yeah. well, it, it would. He didn't just everywhere. say they didn't look like it. He said there was no way right. that they they would do a demolition like that because it was just ridiculous. Um, uh, yeah, I was going to say something else. I but then you have Craig Bartmer on your side. You have uh, Danny Jav- or not Danny Javinko, but the, the Mark Lazo, the head of Controlled Demolition oh, Incorporated. Yeah. They don't think it was controlled demolitions. They are demolition experts. But there's also there's also demolition experts within the ranks of AE 911 Truth, too. Maybe not to the extent of those individuals, but they did mm-hmm. demolitions for the military, for instance, things like that. So, yeah, you, you get it on both sides. Um, but that's the thing. There is a debate. It's a legitimate debate enough. I mean, I would think just the, the, uh, the, the Holsey study makes this a legitimate debate as far as World Trade Center 7. I know you're yeah. not particularly impressed with what you see there <laughs> so far. Um, it's funny because I look at the same models that you look at and I see something different. I know reality is not the same for everybody the way they view it. Like 
Well, uh, the one, thoughts on that? I'll, the Holsey mod, the Holsey study. This is like a study that architects and engineers for 9/11 Truth uh, paid. I don't know how it works, but they paid the University of Alaska three hundred and sixteen thousand uh, dollars to do a study. Like they financed a study, and uh, Professor Holsey was the guy leading it, and he had two graduate students uh, working on it. One of whom left halfway through, and they built some models of the World Trade Center, they investigated a, ver- a variety of things like uh, uh, you know, whether this certain connection would have failed, the, the, the connection between 8-2001, the Goethe and Column 79. And then they did these, these full-scale models, which is a, the main thing that I critiqued, that they had these models of World Trade Center 7. I have a small paper model of uh, World Trade Center 7 here. Uh, but the thing that looks so strange to uh, me about their models is that they claim that they did what's called dynamic analysis of the model which is where you simulate the the movement response of the building and um, you know if, if a girder bends and then fails it will fall and it will hit other girders uh, it accounts for the actual movement of the building as a whole its momentum and they have this one animation that they say is a dynamic response and it just basically consists of the building just tilting over perfectly straightly to the side like kind of like at an angle actually more like like this uh over the bottom half and the bottom or the bottom third and the bottom third isn't connected to the top and there's no collision between the two and it just looks like all they did was take a 3d model and then just add a, like a rotation, translation, transform to move the top half of it. It doesn't actually look like a uh, dynamic analysis. Um, uh, I'm not an expert on these things. I, I know there's the three animations they have. I, I wondered about those other two myself. I think the the one is where they have all the columns. They you know they kind of show them kind of go like this, and then it has a global mm-hmm. collapse instead of a progressive collapse. I didn't know if the other two were like steps to them learning something else and i really got to dig into this more um but i get what you're saying it uh yeah. it looks odd but a, a lot of this computer modeling stuff looks odd i will say i think he's working with better software than they were working with back then uh what uh eight years eight years prior or ten years prior it was in 2008 what yeah, you think years. is you think his renderings would look better then if you look at them you compare to nis they've got this incredibly detailed model and you see there's things falling off all over the place columns collapsing there's defamation of all kinds of things whereas if you look at his model even the the money shot uh version that you see on the cover you see this weird kind of egg breaking butterflying uh hinged uh, penthouse that just kind of sways open and then lowers itself down into the building and then the other penthouse lowers itself down into the building and then the building kind of falls down. It doesn't yeah. even show the columns being removed, like what columns did he actually remove or any defamation whatsoever. It's all very strange and uh, you know I've I've made a little video explaining what my objections are and I, I sent it to Professor Halsey uh, just no, this morning. Yeah, because uh, you know I wouldn't I'd like to get a response, but I've emailed him before a few times and uh, never got any response. But I think... Uh, I could try to help you get one. I could see if maybe uh, I could get somebody to listen to me. I don't know. Yeah, that, I, that'd I'd, be like, great. I'd like them to, if they can improve what they've done through suggestions right now, that's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. So, um, I mean, But I do like thing. that uh, NIST, they admitted the stiffeners, uh, the shear studs, the mm-hmm. steel plates. He, he put all that into his uh, analysis, and I think that has to be something that's it's better. Would you not agree with that? 
Well, it's certainly better to have things in than not, but you know, you still got to come back to the end result. It it doesn't look like it's an actual analysis. It looks like it's an animation. So I'm a little confused as to what uh, what's going on there. I mean, yeah, this is kind of technical, but he does like a, a static analysis, a static analysis, and a dynamic analysis. And a yeah. static analysis is is meant to be like you know, working out what the forces and deformations are of a building. It's not really meant to simulate a building while it is collapsing. You use it to see if a building will collapse. But he simulates it all the way until the building is like at 45 degrees. And he has the columns at the back of the building all stretched out to three times their natural length, which which you know, it'd be an impossible thing to do in the simulation. Those columns would have, would have failed. But you know, in his thing, they're still providing support. So it's it seems I don't know it just seems like it's it's inexplicable how he actually got the results that he did and you know he claims that he did but I think my feeling with that uh, this is kind of speculative is that his graduate students built these models he didn't build the models and they did I some tests yeah he, I'm sure he like had some input on it but you know I don't think he he did the work himself and I think he told them to do tests they did them. They gave some animations back to him, and then he just said, oh, well, this looks like this, and let's try something else. And they went back and forth and did a bunch of things, and this is what they ended up with. And mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't really understand how a dynamic simulation could have ended up with this result. But anyway, this is probably boring to most people because it's a bit too technical. <laughs> but this is something that's playing out in the 9-11 Truth movement right now, is the mm-hmm. architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth are really pushing this, this thing. Uh, this this study by Professor Halsey on the University of Alaska, and it's kind of like their, I don't know, their last gasp in a way. It's like the last, the great white hope of, uh, of architects and engineers for nine eleven truth, in that they they think this is the thing that's going to prove once and for all uh, that uh, I, yeah, I, it was. I don't think evolution. it can prove anything. At the end of the day, even if you like one of these studies more than the other, I mean, they're computer modeling. They're not forensic. It's not chemical analysis. It's not suspects. It's it could lead to something else, but will it? Uh, I would say probably not. I have some hope, but not, not yeah. a whole lot. Um, it's we're a long way away from this thing at this point. Um, That's a problem. Sometimes yeah. I just I do what I think is the right thing to do, whether I think it'll succeed sometimes or not. Um, I, again, I think NIST admitted a lot that he tried to include. I, I don't know all the technical. I'm still digging into this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still comments right now. I. NIST again. We can't check theirs. Not that I would be able to anyway. But they, they, they didn't release their their modeling to be able like what what they did. They withheld it from the public. As far as I know, his is going to be open to the public to test these things for people to have that's the ability right. to do it themselves. So I think that's a good thing as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully someone will uh, look into it. Uh, the problem is, of course, the the, the software they use, SAP two thousand. I think it costs about three thousand dollars. So it's a bit beyond yeah. my budget. I could maybe uh, crowdsource it and then. <laughs> but the, well, the, they use two programs that, I, that I've oh, yeah. heard. Yeah, so the, the cross reference them. They're probably both that price. I would imagine. Right. They use Abacus and SAP 2000, yeah. the two software programs. Abacus, uh, they use for the more detailed analysis where they were studying the behavior of joints and mm-hmm. you know, what the response would be for an individual connection for like a girder to a column connection. Sure. And then they use that to to formulate spring models uh, for the connections. Uh, but the, what they use for the global collapse models, the dynamic ones, uh, which are the kind of the blue and red models that you see, that was right. the SAP 2000, uh, which is a fairly, fairly standard uh, 
uh, software for that type of thing. NIST used a thing called, uh, they used Abacus as well. I oh, know that wasn't Abacus, it was, I can't remember what it was now. Was it Abacus? I think they used Abacus for the first one still. Uh, yes, they did. They used Abacus to, uh, for the you know, similar detail thing, but then they used a thing called LS Dyna for the, uh, the the global collapse models. And that's they used an actual dynamic analysis. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a nonlinear dynamic analysis, which again is another more technical distinction. Uh, but you, so you um, <clears throat> you've worked with architects and engineers for 9/11 Truth. Uh, I've written for them. Uh, I've done some conference calls and whatnot. And I was on the writing team for a little while. So yeah. yeah. So you said you you wrote some of the the facts, uh, the frequently asked questions on architects and engineers for 9/11 Truth. How did that come about? Is this like your specific area of expertise? I mean, it's stuff like the ones that I covered, like the one was about squibs. That's something at the debunkers blog we've mm. talked about a lot about. I mean, so it wasn't really hard. The way I approached it was, well, I, I think a lot of people would ask a lot of the kind of questions that debunkers bring up. Uh, they kind of there was people that push back on that. I was like, I don't think so so much. I think a lot of the things that debunkers bring up is a, are common sense questions that just the general public has sometimes. So that's how I got those to go through in that way. The one was about sounds of explosions and whether they're consistent. I talked about a little bit of what I include there just earlier. Uh, and then the squib issue, whether, whether there's, you know, the building popping out because it's falling down or because there's pre-planned explosives ahead of the demolition right. yeah. of the collapse. Um, and then the, the other one wasn't uh, technical at all. It was, why, it was just why, uh, did AE Nylum, why does AE Nylum truth represent so few architects and engineers of the total. So kind of touched on those things a little bit with the squib issue. I mean, the biggest thing is some of them are like 40 to 60 stories down. So you can say that's escaping air if you want. Uh, I don't know. It seems odd to me, but yeah, um, yeah I can see how it would seem odd. But, uh, you know, another thing that, oh, I don't want to get into too much detail there, but, uh, you know, what you're talking about is the, the puffs of, uh, smoke yeah. and, and dust and debris in some instances that shoot out of the sides of the building, uh, world trade center, like lower than the actual kind of collapse wave. So mm-hmm. it looks like, uh, you know, it could be some kind of explosion, but it also looks like a, a jet of, uh, of stuff shooting out, you know, rather than an explosion. But, you know, I guess some explosions do kind of look like that, but they're, they're rather large. But uh, the the conventional theory is that this is uh, overpressure, which is basically very high pressure has blown the windows out. And the the objection, like you just said there, is that it's too far ahead of the collapse wave. Too far ahead, too too powerful, too fast, and that it's actually crushed building components. That it's that it looks like it's blown up materials and not just puffs of dust or puffs yeah. of air, as people put it. Um, that's the argument in a nutshell. I mean, it gets a little more intensive, but that's yeah. about it. I mean, and you do see these in controlled demolitions. That's the other thing. So it would be consistent. But then you have like David Chandler. He thinks he sees them every single spot as the building's going down. I couldn't imagine there'd be that many explosives in the towers if it was. I mean, if there were explosions in the towers, I would imagine that they're, they're not as many as some truthers would think. I, I think gravity has to be doing a lot of the work. And there ha- you know, probably was some crushing down to some extent. I mean... But those are those are tall buildings coming down, and I'm mm-hmm. sure they grab some of that work, you know. So I, I don't think there had to be like tons of explosives on every single floor, for instance. You could do some pre weakening and explosions every so many floors just to bring it down. Yeah. Like grab, 
I was looking at some of the, the history of uh, 9-11 Truth and digging into the history of architects and engineers from 9-11 Truth and some of the blogs that existed uh, kind of as precursors. I think they still exist. I can't remember which ones they are now. Uh, one of them had this theory about the ceiling tiles all being oh. explosives. And it was literally right. all, all of the ceiling tiles in the entire building had been replaced with explosive ceiling tiles. Uh, and, you know, obviously it's a ridiculous thing, but, you know, at the time people, people believed, some, some people obviously believed. Well, that's, act that's actually Jim Hoffman. Maybe that's, uh, oh, is it? You know, it's, he, I think that he got criticized a lot for that, but he was, he was tasked with come up with something hypothetical yeah. that maybe yeah. had done. I don't think he had to go to that place though. I mean, like I said, you know, you have some strategically placed explosives, gravity does some of the work. Some incendiaries maybe placed throughout the building. I don't know how. I don't know what the minimum would be required, but I mean, I, I just think that perhaps it's not as much as some people would like to, you know. Yeah, yeah it would seem more. It would seem to bode better better for our case that the less is more with that kind of thing, you know. Because it would be easier. Yeah, easier yeah, to so. do. Yeah. But I don't know what the minimum requirement would be, but I just it just seems to me that maybe people overestimate a little bit. And, and how about this? This is interesting. Uh -huh. Crockett Gravy is a 9-11 truth guy. He didn't discount the possibility that he was asked, could foreign terrorists have planned with this? And he said, it's possible, maybe. Uh, you had Mohammed Atta looking around the buildings, apparently, or was it Mohammed Atta? It was one of them. I can't remember offhand. William Rodriguez, the janitor, said he saw one of the, what he recognized later to be one of the hijackers. Probably wasn't Ada, actually, but you can look this up. And he said the person had asked him, where, you know, where, how many bathrooms are on this floor? Things like that. So there's an interesting thing. I mean, uh, could it, it seems be? Uh, highly implausible to me that they would <laughs> plant explosives like, like months ahead of time and then uh, fly the planes in a specific day and then trigger the explosions correctly. It just, I don't know, it seems even more, even more outlandish than the idea of the U.S. government doing it. To me, just why wouldn't they? Yeah, they, 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 before they, they just had one truck bomb that they used in the 1993 uh, World Trade Center attacks, and that didn't work. So they would, you know, I, I could certainly imagine them trying to blow up the World Trade Center again, but it just seems did so. He, did the FBI give that bomb to that to that guy? Have you looked into that claim? Yeah, I mean, the guy says, uh, some guy says That's something said. about it, but, uh, you know, it's. Uh, well, it did, did he not get someone on tape? Uh, yeah, I think that the guy, the, the the 93 bomber, I'm not sure who it was exactly. Uh, it says he had some contact with the FBI. Right. Uh, and that he had an FBI handler. I can't remember the details of it, but uh, I guess people are going to look yeah. it up. But there's certainly a theory around that. Yeah. that there well, was well the New York Times reported on it at the time. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, let, me, let me ask you this, though, because I saw you on mm -hmm. Rogan. One of the... One of the criticisms i saw people in the comments making was yes uh conspiracy theories uh there's too many they're they're overblown this kind of thing but do you believe the cons what you believe criminal conspiracies happen correct oh yeah do definitely. you believe any, any major conspiracy theories is there any that you give credence to well you know the conspiracy theories i believe are are, are, are to a large extent the ones that most people would just accept as fairly obvious that there is a lot of um essentially corruption and graft in the government and in industry yeah, and in uh, uh, amongst the rich people in the country that 
you know, people are doing things for their own self-interest and not really the interests of the people at large. So you get corruption in terms of people uh, trying to influence politicians. Like you'll get the prison lobby trying to uh, influence politicians to increase mandatory minimum sentences. Where And they do this in a variety of ways and some of them kind of verge on bribery. And we know also that politicians accept bribes because it's happened in the past and people are being prosecuted for it. So we know if like a bunch of politicians are being caught for accepting bribes, there must be a bunch of politicians who are essentially, you know, getting getting bribed, getting getting money for uh, their position, either for information or for influencing legislation. So I think that type of thing happens. You know, I think there's there's right. in within industry there's there's deception uh, of what's going on in industry, like big pharma. Uh, probably pumps up the value. Uh, it, you know, Big Pharma wants the FDA to approve its drugs. It's possible that there's some fudging of results going on here and there. I don't know. If I don't really have any good evidence of that, but it's quite possible. You know, there's this stro- really, really strong profit motive, and there's maybe executives who've got all their money in stock options, and they know that if this drug, drug doesn't get pushed through, then you know, they're going to lose like $20 million personally. So they personally have a very strong incentive to do some little fudging, do some little pushing, do do something to get this, this, this drug passed. I don't know if that actually happens, but you know, there's certainly a very strong incentive for that, that to happen. And we know there's loads of... They want to then cover up a cure or, or not do research into herbal medicines because it would cut their profit motive down? Would you go that far? No, I, I, I wouldn't uh, really go that far because you know if, if herbal medicines uh, could be a cure for something, you know, they would sell them. You know, drug companies sell lots of very cheap stuff and drugs go generic after a well, while. Well, wouldn't they, they try to take sell. an extract from it, synthesize it and make it their own? No, they wouldn't sell it because there's no money to be made on them cheaper yeah well herbs are uh, problematic as a medicine because the the amount the dosage amount that you get in an herb is is very variable if you if you mm-hmm. look at, uh, if you look at nutritional supplements which are mm-hmm. sold kind of like you know not evaluated by the fda but they really are uh tra- saying this will cure your cancer uh the actual amount of the active ingredient is very variable in those so you know I, and you know the, and the broader topic there this is something i talked about in a recent podcast was that if there was a cure for cancer you know would people really be that evil that they would cover up a cure for cancer just to make a bit more money when they're already making tens of millions of dollars a year personally i think cancer is pretty um it's a complicated thing though because there's so many different types of cancers and they each can be treated so much differently um, so I don't some, know. like say breast cancer, you know, if there's a cure right. for breast cancer, which kills like hundreds of thousands of women every year, mm-hmm. uh, including the wives and mothers of, uh, uh, and the actual CEOs and people who work in industry, you know, it's this thing that affects everybody. Uh, you know, everybody knows someone who's, who's been affected by one right. of the more common forms of cancer, if not the rarer ones. It just seems, uh, that there isn't really a good motive well it doesn't it doesn't have to be a a conspiracy that's evil in that case though either it could just be like if you look at the history of of medical history there's a lot of things we've learned over time where we were doing things completely wrong that could be there could be better ways that we could be doing things right now other countries medical fields they do take different approaches than we do um so like 
because there is the there's a documentary it's called cancer curable now but if you look at it it doesn't say oh here's a pill that cures cancer it's just here's some different ways different physicians are approaching yeah. it across the world so i don't know and, and but, some um, cancers can be cured uh, there's some that are quite treatable and you know some that respond very well to to various therapies like chemotherapy so it's you know, cancer itself, like you say, is a very complicated thing. It's essentially lots of different diseases, and each individual one is going to have like a different uh, different treatment. Uh, is this something you blog about? Uh, this type of yeah, thing? yeah, I blog about uh, alternative health things. Um, yeah, I, my ex wife was a nurse and uh, took a lot of took a lot of interest in that. So I bounce things back and forth with uh-huh. her. And, Interesting. Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't have any problem with people that, that, I mean, for instance, Western medicine, you can't, there's, it's the only way you're going to get diagnosed with anything, whatever you want to do. Uh, it's second to none when it comes to finding out what's wrong. Um, and even now, when it comes to alternative treatments, Western medicine is more and more accepting of trying anything you want to try as long as it doesn't, as it doesn't conflict with what they'd like to do. But everybody makes their own decisions. Yeah, it's something I talk about. Um, I'm not so sure we see exactly eye to eye, but I get where I get where you're coming from. I, I try to find middle ground with as many things as I can. Something you mentioned is uh, that you do understand that you know power breeds corruption, and, and that's that is an mo of the world. That's kind of why I say that there's an intellectual case for conspiracism. If somebody wants to think that conspiracies are the norm and not an aberration, I think there's a case that can be made for that because I I just think that's how power operates. It, I, I, you know, you can find studies where they'll will show you that people that get into positions of power that seek those positions, they tend to be like sociopathic, narcissistic mm-hmm. kind of people. And so, yeah, will they get together with other people that are like that and make plans in secret to do bad things? Yeah, uh, a lot of times they get caught. Yeah. Um, but and then you, there's things you can look at. Like there's there's an article called "33 Conspiracy Theories That Turned Out to Be True." Uh, there's another one called "42 Admitted False Flags." And one of those is very interesting. I don't know if you've ever heard of Operation Gladio, uh, but Gladio was a false flag terror program set up by the CIA and NATO, and uh, it was eventually exposed. Uh, but it wasn't just a single event; it was an ongoing operation where, it, for decades, yeah. it was secret. And they, there was hundreds of innocent people killed in bombings and whatnot, and they blamed it on other groups. So they were literal false flags, and it's pretty—it's not disputed, as far as I know. I don't know anybody that's trying to dispute it at this point. So it's things like that. Like I, I just interviewed uh, Larry Pinkney. He was a, one of the original Black Panthers back in the '60s. All doesn't right. like them. Yeah, he doesn't like them now. But he said so. When somebody wants to question Sandy Hook or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. yeah, they should try to be responsible with what they do. But they don't just have the right to do that. They they have an obligation to look at anything and say is something wrong here. And uh, I thought that'd be something you might want to talk about with uh like. And I, I agree. Every time there's a shooting, right? false flag people come out of the woodwork and say false flag even when there's no evidence of it sometimes though like with parkland i think it was there were reports some people saying there were three shooters and things like that i was talking to a friend of mine the other day and we were trying to figure out why is that if it's not a false flag why do we get reports like that i said could it be people saw the police come in and they're in Mm -hmm. black and and they're actually going after the shooter and so people some people misconstrue that and think there's multiple shooters could be um, yeah, I've thought about yeah. you know, that particular question quite a bit actually, because it's, uh, it's something that always happens. You always get these reports of multiple shooters. You mm-hmm. remember Sandy Hook? They were looking for other shooters. Like there was like a, a man in the woods, right. and uh, it turned out to be just yeah. They, the they had a guy arrested through. too, but then there's no follow up. That's the problem yeah. with a lot of that. 
Yeah, well, they identified the guy and let him go because he was like, I think one was a cop was coming through the woods. But, but anyway, like, I think these things always happen. Like every single mm-hmm. mass shooting, you know, regardless of what you think about it, they, they starts out with possible multiple shooters and it never pans out. It's always just one shooter. And I think the reason for that is kind of an abundance of caution on the police's part. The police will always assume that a crime scene is going to be active, even though they've shot and killed, you know, or arrested uh, somebody. They don't know, you know, for a start, is this the actual guy who did all this shooting earlier? And they don't know, like, if there is somebody else. So they're going to be saying, you know, what they're looking to see if there's another shooter. And I think it's very, very easily for that uh, situation that the police are looking for another shooter to get interpreted as being there is another shooter. And mm-hmm. then people. Yeah, it's a chaotic situation. People are running every every direction. They're hearing gunshots. Gunshots are echoing from uh, different places. And it can sound like there's multiple people shooting. And they could run one way and they could hear it from somewhere else. And they say, like, oh, I heard it over here. And then I heard it over here. And, yeah, there's multiple shooters. But they they never pan out. And the fact that they never pan out, I think, just indicates how easy it is for people to falsely make that assumption that there's multiple shooters. Even in um, the Las Vegas shooting, you know, where the guy was shooting from the top of, uh, what was it, the, one of the hotels, uh, the, the, I can't remember what it's called now. Uh, anyway, the... the Bay. Yeah, Mandalay Bay, yeah. Uh, he was shooting from, he had two hotel rooms that he was shooting from. And if you listen to the audio of that, like, you hear this bang, 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 and then you hear this boo, 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 boo. And it sounds like there's two different sets of gunshots coming from, from different places. And that's you know, very compelling yeah. to people. But when you look at the actual timeline, what was happening, he was like, first of all, he was shooting at the crowd. And then later he was like, uh, he was shooting at the, uh, the security guard, I think, who was outside his door. Uh, so you've got this two very, very different uh, audio things because one is out of a window and one is kind of like, you know, almost down the hallway a little bit. But because, you know, things like that happen, you get these these different different types of audio uh it's very very easy for people to think there's multiple shooters and you get things like you can see flashes coming from other places and people say oh it's coming from over there yeah they're they're running for their lives they've got no idea like what's actually going on they don't have time to sit there and carefully analyze where where the shots are coming from they just think they they sort of see something and they think that's the shooter so i think it's very very easy for it to appear to be multiple shooters You you can go back to um JFK, you know, the kind of mother of all conspiracy theories in America. Uh, and people think that if you had the canvas, the eyewitnesses uh, in Dealey Plaza, and I think it was like uh, a certain percentage think that there was uh, three shots. A certain percentage think there was more than three shots. Some of them think there was less than three shots. And some of them think it came from over here. Some of them think it came from over there. So, you know, even even way back then, you got the exact same thing. Uh, going on you have a single shooter presumably uh but you've got lots of people thinking there are multiple shooters so it's gonna gonna happen like that Um, i i I agree with you generally what you're saying i think it's overblown um that that doesn't mean that that i don't think that some of them are still very interesting i I do i i've never heard the explanation you just brought up for vegas i know mike adams from natural news he said he did a audio analysis you know i don't know did you look at what he had to say i did it was it was uh i can't remember exactly but it it was i can't even at this point it's been a while yeah he he did Um, some kind of it's interesting there was a there was one of the guys that was involved he was involved in the uh second house selecting committee thing where the 
where they said there was audio, you know, they looked at the audio and said there's other oh, shooters. Yeah. But that, yeah. he, uh, he actually said he saw autopsy doctoring, that he saw this firsthand, that they had covered up uh, a bigger hole in his head and whatnot. And he wrote a whole book on it. Again, it's, uh, what's, here, I think it's right here. The book's called Inside the Assassination Records Review Board, Inside the Government's Final Attempt to Reconcile the Conflicting Medical Evidence, Douglas P. Horn. Right. Yeah, he says he'd actually seen doctored, evidence of doctored autopsy stuff. And yeah, he was well, one of the investigators. That's an interesting case because no matter what you think of the second <laughs> one, it was a second investigation. Yes, and, and, they, and they said that there was a conspiracy. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that's that's actually kind of you know, obviously JFK uh, was in a way like the start of the interest in conspiracy theories, and the the term conspiracy theories started to come into popularity around then. You know, some people think that the CIA invented it. But it actually kind of started. Well, they seem to have from that uh, document. Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, I, I write about that in my book, and I, I, I investigated that a lot. And if you read the document, they, they never actually tell you to use the word conspiracy theory. They just simply use it themselves, and they say what you should do with conspiracy theorists is you should attack their arguments and try to discredit them by showing that they are wrong. They don't actually say, call them conspiracy theorists. Mm. They, just, they just use the term in the same way that other people actually use the term at, at the time. It, you know, it started, if you look at a graph of the usage of the term in newspapers, it I'll have to go started, back and look at it again. Yeah, I, it I, start, thought it, I thought it had suggested it to, for use of their assets in the media. Too, no, no, that's, that's, that's a conspiracy theory. You find out they theory. had assets in the media, though. That came out in the recent JFK files. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they, they did. They were journalists that were uh, working yeah. fairly directly for them. Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting thing, like, you know, the propaganda arm of the government essentially like to what extent does that exist you know i'm i used to be a game programmer and i know uh, people who do video games that are army-based video games they kind of work with the army uh, in some cases to you make the games more realistic but they're also liaising with the army and it's like is this a little bit of propaganda coming through in video games you know to what extent is that type of thing going on I'm kind of suspicious of anything that's involving the military in terms of, you know, their motivations for what, what they are doing. Um, but, you know, that's kind of getting into a broader topic. So I just want to really quickly, something you mentioned earlier was uh, sound analysis. And yeah. uh, that reminded me of, uh, you know, Tony Zambotti. is yep. a guy, architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. And mm-hmm. we were having a big discussion with him on Metabunk where he had done some sound analysis of the Plasco building collapse in Iran. This was this building. It was you know, about half the height of the Building 7, I think, if, if that. It was only like 15 floors. But it, it collapsed collapsed from, from fire. And Tony thought that he did this, this sound analysis that proved that there were explosions going on. But you know, we, we looked into that in a lot of detail, and it turned out his, his analysis was completely bogus. Uh, but you know, what's... What's your opinion of the the whole Plasco thing? Is this this building in Iran? It's an, it was an old building. It had you know a bunch of people living in it, or you know having shops in it, and there was a fire, and at some point it collapsed. And something about it looks very similar to both World Trade Center Seven and the, the tower collapses. So, what do you think about um, that? I, I know what the Truth Movement's view is on it. I've put that out there for people to look at. I. I and I mean, generally speaking, what the view is, but I don't. I think there's evidence that that building wasn't built very well. 
which is probably and it might it might have lacked sheer studs as they thought World Trade Center Seven did or said it did, even though I don't think there's evidence of that. Mm-hmm. So it could very well just be a natural collapse, um, but I would think it's because of poor design, and that's probably something that might be quite prevalent in Iran. I might guess. I don't know. Yeah, so. yeah. I think it was well, it's pre-revolution Iran, which I think had perhaps better building codes, but it's uh, well, not build, better building codes, but it fallen into disrepair. I think it probably mm-hmm. wasn't. Uh, yeah, I think there were some reports about that, and then other people. I, I, I'm pretty sure I saw somebody say that there was reason to think that it probably didn't have good shear studs, and there was reports from officials there that it wasn't in that great of shape. So, yeah. it was um, and it didn't fall that. It didn't fall that fast. I don't think it particularly particular for how for how small of a building it was um yeah there was molten metal apparently and yeah there are things that look like squibs um so but so this creates a lot of problems in a way if it was actually a natural collapse because it's then if this evidence like you know molten molten looking what looks like molten metal we don't know much about what's there though i mean we know a whole lot more about what was found at world trade center at the World Trade Center and the yeah. conditions and everything. So, but, I, don't know. I mean, the, the fires at Ground Zero burned for 100 days. I don't, you know, um, uh, a lot of people think that's odd that they burned that long, but even you burning it, you would understand why that could create more molten metal. But yeah, why why would it happen that quickly there? But what kind of metal is it? And was it actually on? molten metal, though? I mean, we've got this crappy low resolution video of like a, a excavator digging something up that's glowing. Do you you mean it in Iran or in, in Iran? Yeah. yeah. So is do you think there wasn't then, perhaps or no? I don't. Th- I don't think there's molten steel. Uh, oh, okay. In, in, in e- either case, I don't because fire. Oh, uh, either case. Yeah, in either case, I don't think the fire burns hot enough to burn steel to melt melt steel into a liquid form. And you know, if if it did, like it's not going to be there. Like That's assuming afterwards. it's just fire. I mean, oh yeah, exactly. Do I have, so, mol- have molten concrete and some? Yeah, well, that, that's uh, I don't really buy this molten concrete idea either because concrete. That's how they. That's how they advertise it. Yeah, they, they do. But uh, concrete that's encased a gun, for instance. P- people use the term uh, melted and molten to refer to a whole bunch of things. Um, yeah, and. It's well. I, I won't dig in the weeds with you about this. No, no. It's, it's, I can provide could, what I. We think could go on for hours uh, discussing this type of thing. Counter, countering the criticism of the Warren report, they do say employ right. propaganda assets to answer and refute the attacks of critics. So they don't just say take on these conspiracy theories oh, yeah. and say they're wrong. They say yeah, employ well, their they, propaganda. They, they say assets. our propaganda assets should do this, but they don't say call them yeah. conspiracy theorists. No, yeah, you could, uh, I'll concede that. I, I don't see yeah. that in my notes here when I talked about it before. I guess that's just something I've kind of latched on to assuming over the years, or perhaps yeah, people say that. There's, so much. there's I kind a of, book uh, that's written uh, about it. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. Maybe conspiracy theory. But uh, the guy basically makes the claim that they do tell you to use the word conspiracy theory, but because they knew this 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 memo would come out eventually. They kind of did it in code. So well, here's a question: did, Was <laughs> that term used before then? Or did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you, I, I researched conspiracy theorists. Did people refer to things like that before, or was there even an idea about this before the JFK thing? Yeah, they, it was. Uh, the term conspiracy theory uh, was actually synonymous with another term called the the devil theory. And if you look up Devil Theory and uh, Goldwater, Barry Goldwater, you will see people referring to 
uh, Barry Goldwater's uh, response to not getting elected uh, as a devil theory and as a conspiracy theory. So it was kind of like a, a, a changeover. You know, devil theory wasn't super popular back then. But conspiracy theory was used to refer to people usually on the radical right uh, in America. There's a little bit of research on it. I, I discuss this in my book. I'm not trying to get you to buy my book or anything, but I, I do have a whole chapter. The first chapter is called The Conspiracy Theory, Conspiracy Theory, where I look at the history of the term. And uh, uh, yeah, it, was, it, it wasn't very common. And I think it really was the, the death of JFK and all the theories around that that popularized the term. Because it wasn't just that the media was... And the media wasn't trying to discredit people. The media was describing what was happening. And what was happening at that time was that there were lots of theories about a conspiracy. So you've got to, you know, kind of refer to these these theories in some way. You know, what's, so what's the media going to do? There's lots of theories of conspiracy around uh, the JFK death. There's lots of conspiracy theories around the JFK death. And then naturally it's conspiracy theorists. Uh, but yeah, it did really start there. It peaked a bit, I think, after... Um, the, the the second report came out. There was another fairly big peak around... There was a small peak around uh, Robert Kennedy's death. Then there was a big peak around Watergate uh, because the term was used there because there was lots of speculation about what actually happened. And I think people were... Well, was actually, it called a conspiracy or a conspiracy theory? Conspiracy theory, yeah. Watergate. Okay. So, but it does have a derogatory connotation. It does, yeah. It definitely but, does. It definitely does. Maybe it's wearing off a little bit, though. I mean, I got to thank you. Like, the mainstream media has barely even talked about the Hulsey Report. I think it's worthy to be talked about. And I say, hey, look, at least Mick West is talking about it. You know, like, That's <laughs> yeah, more than they're doing, most of them. Uh, there was a CBS affiliate that just picked it up. And I think some of this has taken a little while. Even InfoWars took two days to pick it up. Yeah, I, part of that yeah. might be confusion that they they kind of released this before, like in 2017, but not all of it. I, yeah, I got confused. I was yeah. looking on YouTube oh. and I thought I was looking at the the current uh, like presentation. I was actually looking at the one from 2017, uh, but yeah, they look so similar. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I think I think it will get more publicity simply because uh, it's being pushed by architects and engineers for nine eleven truth as being this this holy grail type thing, uh, mm. and and everyone's who's you know a good you know who's really into nine eleven truth uh, is going to be saying, oh look, a university professor has proved that fire could not have caused the collapse, and they'll just point to it. Uh, you just without really looking at the details, I think. But I think I have identified a few problems with it, which which will probably play out over the next. Uh, weeks and months and maybe they'll come out with a, a revised report but, but we'll see well i'll we'll keep see. an eye on you uh, a lot of people are giving you a lot of problems in your comments i don't know you got your debunker debunkers trying hard at you there at youtube um now like like adam told you i'm not 100 percent that the towers were yeah. uh, controlled demolitions especially not more so i believe with uh, building seven even with that, who knows what the truth could be? It could be people that had prior knowledge and an insurance scam. I don't know. I don't know the truth 100%. I just want to find it. I yeah. do look at 9-11 as a, a cumulative case of is there something more? Is there something wrong? And that's why I do I do focus attention on NORAD and, and the foreknowledge and whistleblowers and, you know. Uh, the family members having seven, 70% of their questions not adequately answered, at least to what they thought would be adequate uh, by the commission. Uh, I've always found to not be, you know that's not satisfactory to me and then you can look at bill doyle he went on the alex jones show in 2006 
he has a 9-11 Victims Family Network of 7,000 people. He said he talked to most, if not all of them, and he would estimate that half of them at least believe there was some kind of inside job element to 9-11. So if that's true, you're talking as many people that died that day as you know, there are that many family members or more that, that have views that are at least somewhat in line with mine. So, um, Yeah, well, but, this is a lot of people believe that something suspicious happened on on 9-11 to one degree or another. So, and the, and uh, the questions are going to persist for a very, very long time. Yeah. I mean, we're getting, like I said, we're getting a long ways away from this. Like you said, it did yeah. breathe some life into it with, uh, with this new report, but yeah. you're still going to continue on with the, the, everything's a false flag. And, and I get, I got your points perfectly that you made about the shootings. And I, I, I wish people would take that to heart. Uh, they have to be careful. Everybody should be right. as careful as they can be. Um, but there's things, you know, even like, there are times when there are reports of multiple shooters where the people say they actually saw these shooters. But that's when I wonder, did they see police and get confused or something? Or just some guy running. Well, like the one girl, she said she was with the shooter. Uh, I think, Mm. I think it was Nicholas Cruz, one of these guys. I don't even care what their names are. We shouldn't even say them. She said she was with him when she heard shots from somewhere else. I don't know though. Why would she say that? Would she lie to protect him? Or you know? Yeah, the, I'm not familiar with that. That, uh, that case. She said she was walking down the hallway with him when shots came from the other end of the school. So I mean, it's, it's hard to mistake what she's saying, but but if but you've got at conflicting, the end of the day, it's anecdotal. It's testimony. Yeah, if you've got conflicting reports, things. someone's wrong. So yeah. yeah, who knows what what uh, what's going through her mind? You know what she actually saw. Yeah. What, why she she, she either you know, she's obviously either lying, she's mistaken, or she's telling the truth. So you got those three possibilities, and you got to like rank them. What's the most likely thing that happened? I'd start like being, uh, I guess, uh, uh, charitable and say that she was mistaken and she was confused after the fact because mm-hmm. she was so traumatic and she was mistaking things. And then maybe she was, like you say, making it up to cover for him. And then a, a much less likely possibility, but you know, I never liked to. Like, take things off the list is that she's telling the truth. And there was this, this big, uh, you know, there was something else going on in addition, or yeah, maybe there was just some, I don't know, a car backfiring or something. Uh, so, uh, I guess you're going to keep doing this type of nine 11 truth. You're still, are you still active? Are you feeling, are you feeling a bit of debunker fatigue or, uh, you know, <laughs> truth of fatigue? Like, uh, no, uh, I've slowed down a lot. Um, and look, you asked Adam this, like, would you recommend this to other people? I wanted to answer that myself yeah. too, because the answer is not necessarily, <laughs> Um, you could call you could call going after government corruption and things courageous. You could also yeah. understand that being, uh, you know, having a, having a, that basically uh, being fearless and being courageous. They're very similar to being stupid. Um, <laughs> if you're going to do these things, uh, take it easy. Do it in bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Don't obsess on it. Don't make it your life. Um, look, if you think there's government corruption and you want to fight it, you could take the. That's a that's a way to to go about it, but you could also go, but I, but what's the point? Why would I do that? Cause I want to bring, I want to make the world a better place. For instance, that's why I do what I do. Well, you could also, you could focus on the negative and try to fight it, or you could go, well, there's this politician that I like, and he's trying to bring people jobs. And I think that's a good thing. So I'm going to focus on him and yeah. I'm going to focus on promoting that instead of fighting the bad, I'll promote the good. And it's healthier for you to do that. Really. I'm not saying don't do it, but I'm saying be smart about how you do it. It can have a psychological effect. Even, Architects and engineers found them truth. They have a whole psychology, you know, wing that has warned people against this very thing, or at least acknowledged that that's why a lot of people stay away from it. 
And yeah. that makes sense. I'm sure they do for that reason, you know. So that's my advice. If you're going to do it, um, do it sparingly. Take R and R. Don't obsess on it. Don't make it your life. So okay. will I continue when there's things to report? Sometimes I blog out of just habit. I'm just so used to doing it, talking about this. But yeah, like you said, I have like 30 websites where I've varied topics, and that's that's how people should try to be. You know, don't don't spread yourself too thin. Life's too short to focus on one thing or one area all the time. You know, and try to enjoy your life. Yeah, that's. Uh... Yes, that's a very good advice, I think. Uh, you know, sure, if you think the things are important, then look into them. But, you know, where you can actually make a change and where you know, your life uh, can be improved personally is like things that I think people should focus on. But, I, you know, because I'm a debunker, people are going to be saying I'm trying to persuade people not to look in 9-11 truth. But, you know, if that's your thing, then go for it. Like, look into it. But, you know, have a life too. No, I don't, you know, I don't see you as trying to dissuade anybody. If anything, I've always thought debunkers helped refine the case for what we were making. Like I said, you're you're bringing it up when a lot of mm-hmm. mainstream news isn't, but you're trying to get people to think critically and to you know. Um, so even if somebody doesn't agree with you, if it makes them uh, not buy into all the bullshit that's out there, then that's better. Sorry, cuss on the show there, but yeah. Um, so no, I, I think what you're doing is positive. I do, Thanks. and. Uh, yeah, and I appreciate your approach as well. Like, you know, you're not just uh, you know pushing one point of view. You're trying to actually find the truth. You know, we we have disagreements on various points, but we also have agreements on various points. Uh, so, yeah, that's good. You're I'm not a flatter. <laughs> <laughs> and you're not a uh, Pentagon missile missile guy or a, a Judy. Well, I might person. ask you this though: uh, uh-huh. stratospheric aerosol injections. Mm-hmm. Not a big chemtrail guy. I have one page where I talk about a page that's on your Metabunk site. Yeah, John Brennan when he talked about that. I, yeah. I do think it's interesting. You, you, your whole point was that he wasn't talking about something that's going on now. Yeah. But there, there were people that said, well, why can we trust the government on whether it's going <laughs> on now? Um, and I think that's fair enough. Uh, there, Jim Mars is a research, researcher. He said sometimes that contrails will appear at um, in weather conditions or at altitudes where they shouldn't. You would say that's not true at all. I would say that they might appear to be. Like, there's actually, a, uh, real quick, there's a couple of types of contrails. There's the, the exhaust contrails, and then there's the aerodynamic contrails. The aerodynamic contrails are the ones that most often, I think, get uh, misinterpreted as being chemtrails. If you look at the, the videos on uh, geoengineeringwatch.org, which is the main chemtrail site, they show these videos of uh, undeniable spring. Uh, and they're actually just these videos of aerodynamic contrails, which is where the contrail forms over the wing. It's not actually coming out of the engines, it forms over the wing. And these contrails actually occur in different weather conditions to engine uh, exhaust contrails. They uh, can occur at much lower altitudes. Uh, so they can, they can occur in locations where you quite often don't see contrails, on flight paths where you don't see contrails because the planes are normally too low because they're coming out of an airport. Like I will see them occasionally on planes leaving Sacramento because I'm kind of in the hills near Sacramento here. Um, so, and the thing about the weather conditions, usually what's happening there is they're basing the weather conditions on what's called a, a sounding, like a, a weather balloon, basically. You know, weather balloons, they release them, they go up in the air and they measure the temperature and humidity at various points. But the problem with weather balloons is that they only do one every 12 hours usually in most sites and the the weather balloon stations are separated by at least 200 miles each so it's almost impossible that the 
precise temperature and humidity a weather balloon is measuring is really correlated with the weather where that contrail is. So it's very easy to say, you know, this is the humidity, look at this, this sounding, and this is the plane, and it doesn't actually work. Um, but if you're seeing a contrail at the back of the plane, that means that's actually the best indicator of the weather conditions that you can have. And it's, it's almost like a little, little backwards problem because, you know, it's like the, the plane itself is demonstrating that the conditions are right. That uh, people will say because of their very inaccurate forecasting of the conditions that it's not right. But the, the, essentially there's nothing there, but it's a difficult thing to explain to people. No, those are some good points. I get that. Um, so, and you're saying too, when, when people point to like, they're coming off the entire wing, uh-huh. they'll point to that being proof that it's, it's not coming from the engine. So therefore, but you're saying there's that, that there's an explanation for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you look up like aerodynamic and rainbow contrails, uh, there's, there's some very, some classic photographs of, of them, but if you just look up, do a Google image search for aerodynamic contrails there's a couple of types of aerodynamic contrails there's ones you see when a plane's landing which are the kind of the vortexes that come off the wings and then Mm -hmm. there's the high altitude ones which are they actually form persistent contrails which come off the entire wing and it's like a sheet uh and then it kind of gets curled up in the vortices so it looks a bit like a regular contrail further back but it starts out looking kind of like a ribbon uh like a thin flat ribbon uh earlier on and sometimes it has color in it because of the the way it hits the sun and the way the, the water droplets grow, uh, which is you know, very different to the engine exhaust. People see these colors and they think, oh, that means chemicals. Uh, but right. uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's fairly obvious once you understand the mechanism of an aerodynamic contrail and you look at other examples of aerodynamic contrails, what's going on. There's a famous uh, video of a, a KC-10, I think, leaving aerodynamic contrails and there's the there's audio that goes with the video, which is actually the pilots and the engineer in the cockpit. And they're saying things like, you know, look at that plane spraying chemtrails. Good job we're above it. We'd be dead right now. Uh, and it's fairly obvious that they're joking. Right. But uh, there was an Italian blogger uh, called Tanker Enemy. And I think he didn't really understand that they were joking because he's, English isn't his first language. Right. And so he presented this as being proof that um, they were discussing chemtrails. Uh, but if you look at the actual video now, like the guy who put it up has put in put more videos up of him being, he's an actual KC-10 engineer. And he said, this was just a hoax. And here's some other videos and here's photos proving me doing this. And so you know, it was obviously it was just these aerodynamic contrails. But the chemtrail people just cling on to this thing because it's such a nice video of these trails coming off. Essentially, it looks right. like the entire wing is spraying but it's really just uh forming this uh this contrail sheet because of the pressure drop over the wing right and like i said it's not really one of my big issues uh, i have a page about it i'll actually edit it a little bit based on some of the things we just talked about but it basically focuses around john brennan which i do think it's interesting uh-huh. that he brought up stratospheric aerosol injections being used to combat climate change and things like that because that is something that some theorists have bringing, been bringing oh, yeah. up for a while that that's what they're doing well, so have you heard of or, have you heard of David Keith? David Keith, no. He's uh, perhaps one of the most famous uh, geoengineering researchers out there, and he was um, he's written a book called "The, the Case for Climate Engineering." Uh, mm-hmm. He was on the Colbert Report uh, years ago, and I actually just had him on my podcast. Uh, I think about five episodes back, and we discussed like basically the current state of climate re- of uh, 
geoengineering research and what's been done. And he says basically nothing has ever been sprayed out of a plane uh, in in pursuit of climate uh, in climate modification, climate engineering, or geoengineering. So there's really you know from his perspective there's there's nothing that's going on. And you should you should listen if you're interested in that topic. Like I recommend listening to uh, that interview I did with him. Uh, Tales from the Rabbit Hole. I think it's episode 15, maybe. I could just check that real quick. Uh, you can go to trh.com or it's just you know, anywhere. Let's see. Episode 13. It's sandwiched in between, uh, I think, Flat Earth and Planet X, which is <laughs> a strange company for Professor Keith. But yeah, it's uh, basically there's, there's, the research isn't there yet. They don't know how to do it. So they couldn't really have been doing it 20 years ago because they still don't know now how to do it. So it's an interesting uh, topic, though. My humorous way I put on here, I put, they're not real. They're not real. You're crazy. I mean, they are real, but but they're good, and we haven't used them yet. <laughs> well, we certainly haven't used them, and they wouldn't look like what people are pointing to as, as contrails. They would, you wouldn't actually leave trails like that. It would be kind of like they would do a haze and it'd be much higher up in the stratosphere most planes don't actually fly in the stratosphere yeah yeah um, i saw that conversation some people were saying well s- well some of them might be visible in the, the stratosphere yeah. the lower stratosphere and things like that so yeah i was looking it was on your site i was reading it so oh yeah we, there, was, there was a big, there was a big discussion about that but uh mm-hmm. there's the there's yeah. what's called i think uh what is it uh that's not the stratoport is it but it's um you know, the boundary between the troposphere and the stratosphere Place yeah, well, this was being discussed on a page about Brennan. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I remember the, we having that discussion like years ago. Do planes fly in the stratosphere? Like, there was one guy who thought that all contrails formed in the stratosphere, and we were saying no, most of them are in the troposphere. So anyway, it's just a big, a big kind of technical discussion that's kind of a moot yeah. point, really. Well, we've kind of like gone over well over an hour here, which has been a very interesting conversation. Is there anything you want to like close out with? You want to like mention your website uh, or final words? Sure. Uh, if people want to go on the positive side, I'm a, I'm a supporter of uh, President Trump. So 2020 elections coming up. Uh, Trumpisright.blogspot.com. I also have a huge page called Trump is Right, Trump is Wrong, and uh, Mixed Bag. So I'm a pragmatic supporter. I try to uh, criticize him where I think he needs criticizing, but um, but I think he's a better choice than probably what we'll get on the other side. And I'm not a partisan person. Uh, I maybe lean a little bit right uh, politically, but I'm moderate on a lot of things. I've definitely voted for Democrats. I voted for Obama twice. Uh, I'm not happy with those votes, but I did do it. So, um, so yeah, I'm not like a hyper-partisan person. So there's that. There's 911debunkers.blogspot.com. And I'll try to make some show notes um, to, for this show. To, even if I don't, even if you don't include them, people can go to 911debunkers, and I'll put this interview up. And so anything I talked about, at least, I'll try to you know put some of the, some of the material where I'm yeah. referencing. Cool. I'll, yeah, anything you do, I'll put on the uh, on the YouTube thing. If I, I'll get it off your site, or you can send it to me. So, okay. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Uh, very, yeah. very interesting again. And uh, you know, obviously, there's lots to talk about. We could just go on and for hours, like nitpicking mm-hmm. these little things. Um, yeah, and uh, it's good because I think, like, you know, I tell you things that you might not know, and you tell me things that I might not know, and together we kind of synthesize something that's a bit closer to the truth. Sounds good. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. It's been fun. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.